I was, I don't know if you can relate to uh, the struggle with sin in, in your life. I remember for many of my years, uh, teen and even adult life, I struggled um, in particular in the area of lust and how I viewed women, um, what that looked like in my life, struggles with pornography in particular. And for years, I struggled with this, was in bondage to it. And I would tell God, and I remember having these conversations with him where I'd say, that's it. This is it. This is the last day. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. But the next day, went right back to it. And I knew, I mean, I grew up in the church. I knew, I knew the, the gospel. I knew Jesus had died for my sins. Um, I knew that I was forgiven, that I wasn't necessarily going to hell for this. But my question was, man, how do I find victory over this sin? How do, how do I find myself released from this bondage that seems to haunt me day after day after day? And most of you can quickly identify an area of sin in your life, maybe like mine, maybe totally different, but you feel um, today or maybe in your recent past that it has had you totally defeated. And what we want to answer, uh, the question we want to answer this morning that I believe Paul is getting at in Romans 6 is how do we find victory over sin in our lives? So, so here's an example. Um, imagine that we decided, our government decided, we want to deal with our alcohol problem uh, in, in our country, and we're going to go dry. It works so well in the prohibition, we're going to run it back, right? We're going back to that. We're going to do that again. And so how could we help? Like, we could go, we could go into every home and every store and start smashing bottles and throwing them in the garbage and trying to get rid of all the alcohol, all the wine, all the hard liquor, all the beer, and, and how, would that, how would that go? Like, if we got rid of everything in Kenai Soldatna, does that solve the problem? Of course not. If we only deal with the product, but we don't ever touch the distilleries and the breweries and the factories that all of that alcohol came from, within weeks, those t- shelves can be totally restocked. If we ever wanted to truly free this country from alcohol, which, for the record, I'm not advocating for or against that. This is just an illustration. What would we need to do? We have to go to the source. We would have to get rid of the distilleries and the breweries and the factories. And if we ever want to find victory over sin in our lives, we have to get to the source. We have to get to the root of the problem. I mean, imagine you had an apple tree in your backyard in Alaska. Good luck with that, right? And you decide, Man, I don't want apples anymore. I want oranges. So you desperately and fervently start plucking off all the apples off of that tree and the duct taping oranges to that tree, right? That, that does not switch the fruit, right? If you want an orange tree, you need to get an orange tree, fool, right? That's the pro- You need a new tree. You don't deal with the fruit, you deal with the root. And in our lives, man, we can't just deal with the sins that we commit. There is a deeper root problem in our lives and that we are sinners. We are sin distilleries. Our, our root, the problem is who we are. We said last week, we said it's not what we do. That yes, we do wrong things, but the reason that I do wrong things is deeper than that. It's because I am the wrong thing. And the reason I sin, the reason I commit sins is because I am a sinner. I lie because I'm a liar. I steal because I'm a thief. The problem is me. That's why I do the things that I do. And so the gospel, therefore, cannot be just stop doing bad things and start doing better things. It can't just be WWJD, right? There's a a deeper issue going on here. Because I've tried that, man. I've tried just changing my behavior. And what happens, right? 
I try to change my behavior, and the next day, there's this whole new batch of sin that starts brewing again. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. We said last week that we're naughty by nature, right? We said that it's from our old Adam, who we were, we were born in that first Adam. We were born condemned, guilty sinners, right? Born disconnected, separated from God. And therefore, what I need is not just behavior modification, but I actually need a new nature. I need to become a new person. I need a new life. And when we look at salvation, there are, there are three aspects to salvation. Now, I'm not saying there are three kinds of salvation. There's one sal- Savior, there's one way to be saved. But like facets on a diamond, there are different aspects to our salvation. There's three big words. There will be a test at the end of the sermon, so follow along. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, these are words, if you're reading, studying, you may come across them, so we want to look at them, but I want to break down what those mean and, and how much this matters for our lives. These are three different aspects of the things that you and I have been saved from. So the first thing in justification that we've been saved from is the penalty of sins, the penalty of sins. What that means is when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood for you, you were forgiven for the things that you did. And this word justification is a big fancy word that means that we are declared right in God's sight. It's a legal term. It's our legal standing with God. That when he looks at me, he sees that he calls me right, calls me good because of what Christ did for me. Now, just because I'm declared right, does that mean that I act right? Does that mean that all of a sudden all I do is right things? And if you've been a a believer for more than like five seconds... You know in your experience that that's not true, that you still sin, that you still sin awfully, often, that you still sin deeply, that you have a deep-seated desire to continue to do things that you know to be wrong. And that's where we move to the second aspect of, of our salvation. We are not just freed from the penalty of sin, we are freed from the power of sin as well. See, Jesus knew, God knew that he didn't just have, it was deeper than just the sins, he needed to take care of the sinner. So that's exactly what he did. This is talking about the growth phase of the believer's life. That that how we live begins to line up with who we've been declared to be. And this word, this big word, sanctification, or sanctify, it means to make holy, to set apart. God is holy, and so what this means is we are in the process of becoming holy. He is conforming us into the image of Jesus. He's making you and I, as believers, more like Jesus. Now, you can't separate that initial salvation from that growth, that God says, what I started, I will finish So if I've declared you to be right, I am over time in this messy process of grace going to make you into what I've declared you to be. And then one day we'll face face this final aspect of salvation, glorification, that when we see him, we will be like him, that we will be removed from the presence of sin for all time, that we will, there'll be no more sin in our lives, that we will finally be complete in, in Christ. But that's a story for another day. Um, so we've been, I just kind of remember as we've been walking through this book, kind of a running head start to where we are this morning, the first couple chapters of Romans, Paul just dealt with the issue of sin, the problem, the despair of any of our own efforts, the the root of of how bad we are, and then he looked from Romans 3.21 through the end of 5 at this issue of our initial salvation. I used it because I like to use the S words, uh, alliteration, that's how the pastors like to roll, but the word there is really justification, and he dealt with that initial being declared right with sin. 
But now we're going to turn a corner here in Romans 6. And he's going to start to deal with this growth process for us as believers. This is called sanctification. How we become more like Jesus. And we need to learn some things, learn some truths in this process. So he shifts from the sins that we commit to the sinner that we are, from the fruit to the root. And so what we're going to see this morning is Paul gives us three steps, three things that we need to know and put into practice if we want to walk in victory. I do believe we can have freedom and victory from sin today. And here's what he says. He says we need to know, reckon, and present. So let's dig into God's word and discover his truths for us this morning. Number one, he says we need to know. We need to know. Verse one, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? This is a continuation from chapter five. Remember what he said, in this world sin abounds, but where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. That Jesus is greater than sin, that the last Adam is greater than the first Adam. So he makes this logical step here in, in a question that he asks. Now, well, wait a second. If the more that I sin, the more God's grace abounds, the, the better. It, so my sin actually makes God's grace look more impressive. So you know what I should do tomorrow? Just sin a lot. Because then that'll make God's grace look amazing. Like I do this, man, Jesus forgave that. And then, you know, over here, and Jesus forgave. And Jesus really had to forgive that one, right? That, that I just kind of swipe the Jesus credit card and make God's grace look spectacular. Is that a good idea? Well, look at what he says. He says this word, he says, uh, by, by no means. So this word is God forbid. Heck to the no is what he's saying. Like it's a strong, the strong, I don't know, can I say that? I'll have to ask the elders afterwards. Um, he's saying that just, and, and notice what Paul's not going to say, he's not going to say is that, that because if you keep sinning, you'll lose your salvation and go to hell. That's not how he follows this up. But verse three, he says this, do you not know? Starts with our knowledge. We have to know something. So, for example, if you imagine you piled up some massive credit card debt, you're just buying your pastor all this really cool stuff to tell him how much you love him, and, and but I, I come over and I and I pay off in my infinite benevolence. I pay off your credit card debt completely. Okay, it's been paid, but you don't know that yet. You haven't been told that you're debt free. Now, now, you're going to still live like you're in debt, right? You're, you're, going, to, you're going to continue to, to live as though you have to make those payments, as though you don't have money to spend in other areas. You're going to live a life of worry and stress and fear because you don't know the glorious truth that I've paid off your credit card debt. But, but once you know the truth, once you come to understand that you're debt-free, now you can live in and enjoy that glorious freedom and in the same way, Paul says, man, if you don't know this glorious truth, you are not going to be able to enjoy and live in its freedom. You need to know this. Now, what is it that we need to know? He says in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, what's he saying there? We died to sin. Last week, we said the word death means separation. He says, you have been separated from that sin. So how can you connect yourself back to something that you've been separated from? Now you say, what do you mean, Paul? Tell us more. So he does, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, what in the world is he talking about here? The word baptized. The word baptized simply means to place into. Now, most of us, when we think of this word, we think of water baptism, right? And that's when you place someone into the water. You baptize them. It symbolizes their salvation. 
But here he's not talking about water baptism. The word baptize, what's the context? Those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus. This is a spiritual baptism that our spirit was placed into the spirit of Jesus. Now, what in the world does that mean to be placed into Christ Jesus? Well, you always ask good questions, so I will tell you. Now, I have this book here. And then I have this piece of paper. This is the Romans reading plan. Free plug. Don't forget, look in your bulletins and uh, follow along. Get in the word this week. Romans reading plans in your bulletins, free of charge. Um, if I baptize this piece of paper into this book, I've placed it, I've placed it into the book. That's why I baptized it, right? And now this word baptism, it has to do with identity. So, so what happens is if this paper has been baptized into the book, what's true of the book is true of the paper. So where is the book right now? It's in my left hand. Where's the paper? The paper's also in my left hand. If I throw this book into the air, okay, where the, the, the paper went for a ride as well, right? If I dipped it into some water, the book gets wet, the paper gets wet. If I set it on fire, the paper is burned just like the book. What's true of the book is true of the paper. They've been identified with one another. And this was us in our first Adam. We were identified with him. Adam was in the garden. He sinned. He was guilty. He was condemned. We were placed, born into that Adam, identified with him. So we were born guilty, condemned, as though we were in the garden eating the fruit. But now, God, in his mercy, has removed us from that old Adam and placed us into the new Adam so that what's true of Christ is now true of us. And look at what he says. This is unbelievable. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him. How? By baptism. Into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here's what he's saying. You've been placed into Christ. Was Christ crucified at the cross? Then you've been crucified. Was Christ buried into the ground? Then you've been buried into the ground. Was Christ raised to a new life and seated at the right hand of the Father forever and ever? And so have you been. But what's this mean? How does this help us with victory over sin in our lives? Well, he tells us in verse 6. We know, again, we got to know this. This is a truth we have to know. That our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now here's what he's saying. Our old self, what's, what's our old self? Well, our old self is, is who we were in Adam. That's our old nature. That's our sinful nature that, that wanted to do the wrong thing, the problem, the sin distillery, the sin tree. It's who we were in Adam, in the first Adam. And what he says here is that it might be brought to nothing Okay, that, that word, that expression in the Greek, it means to be rendered powerless. To be rendered powerless. And, and so what he's saying, he's not saying your sinful nature is gone. Has that been anybody's experience? That you just wake up in the morning and you have no inclination to sin whatsoever anymore? Of course not. That we still daily are totally capable of lying, of being insecure, of being proud, arrogant jerks. Like we're, that's totally still in our wheelhouse. What he says here is that it no longer has power over your life. The New Living Translation says, so that sin might lose its power. We, you and I, look at me, you and I are free from the authority and power of sin right now. What does that look like? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. So, Peter Pan, you guys are, we watched this movie, all right? Um, no, I'm the only one. All right, great. Um, so, in, in this movie... 
All right, you got Captain Hook, and mean old Captain Hook. He's bossing Smee around, and, and Smee has to do whatever Captain Hook tells him to do. Why? Because Captain Hook can overpower him. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's that freaky hook that he can use on him. Like, Smee has to obey Captain Hook. But let's say that, that Peter Pan comes to the rescue, crowing, doing his Peter Pan thing, and he defeats Captain Hook. And he takes Hook, and he ties him to the mast. What has he done? He's rendered Captain Hook powerless over Smee. He can't, do, he can't force Smee to do anything anymore. Smee is free. He's a free Smee, right? It's incredible. But now, but now is, is Captain Hook gone? No, he's not. He's very much still there. And can Captain Hook still attempt through speaking lies to, Captain, to Smee to tell him, hey, you still need to go swab the deck. You still need to listen to what I say. He can say that, right? He's still there. But Smee has a choice now. He can choose to obey his old master, or he can choose to walk in the freedom that Peter Pan has won for him. Hallelujah. In the same way, you and I, as believers, this verse says, have been freed from the power of sin. Jesus nailed it at the cross. It has no more power over you. But is it still there? Yes, it is. We live in a fallen world, in a mortal body, and that sin can still whisper the lies that we are in bondage to it, that we still have to do, that we still want to do what it says. And we can listen to those lies, and we can go back into the jail cell, put the manacles back on, and pretend and live as though we're still in bondage to something we've been set free from. And this is what he says. And these are habits that we've formed in our lives. He says, for, for, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him to a new life. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over you. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. If, if Christ is dead to sin and alive to God, you too, I too, am dead to sin and alive to God. So Paul's answer to the question, why not just keep sinning to make God's grace look more amazing? Doesn't you realize you're dead to it? That's no longer who you are anymore? He doesn't say, well, now that you're saved, you've got to start obeying a bunch of God's rules or you'll go to hell. That's not his response. What he says here is, how in the world can you go back to something that you used to be enslaved to, but now you're free? If you've been said, hey, you're free from this sin, you can now go in the mansion of the king and live like his child, why in the world would you go back to the prison cell? Go back and enslave yourself to what you've been freed from. So the first step is to simply know and rejoice in the blessed, glorious fact that, that I, that you have been crucified with Christ, you've been buried with him, and you've been raised to a new life. That sin no longer has power over you. Isn't that amazing? A sin has no authority over you, no power. For, I still remember the day I was 18 years old at New Tribes Bible Institute when I first heard these glorious truths, and it changed my life forever. We've got to know. We've got to know the facts, but then secondly, we got to reckon on these facts. We've got to reckon on these facts. It says, verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in, in Christ Jesus. Now, this word consider here, it means to reckon, to count, to consider or accept something as, as certain. Or in other words, to rely on it as true. This is talking about faith. You need to believe what is true. Now, this is an important uh, difference we want to look at here. Counting something doesn't make it true. You are counting something that is 
true. So, so let, me, let me explain that. Does anybody have any uh, change in their pockets right now? I know it's, it sounds like a bad magician's trick, but uh, we, uh, does anybody have any change? I know it's 2018, and we're doing a lot of Venmo and credit card and stuff. Uh, Jorge, what, you got any coins in your pocket? Oh, any coins? Any coins? That'll work. What, what do you got back there, buddy? A penny. One cent. Sweet. Lunch is on you, buddy. All right, so... He's got one cent. Now he held it up and he told me how much he had, right? He reckoned the amount of money that he had in his pocket. Now, counting it as true, is that what made it true? No, he was simply reckoning on the fact that it already was true. You can't just pull it out of your pocket and go, I've got a million dollars, which would be awesome. But declaring it doesn't make it true. You're simply reckoning on a fact that is already true. True. And in the same way, he says, you are to reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. Free from the power of sin and reconnected to God in a relationship with him. And Watchman Nee tells us this, that God tells us to reckon ourselves dead. Not that by the process of reckoning we may become dead, but because we are dead. He never told us to reckon what was not a fact. So think of it like this. I remember this was this old SNL skit. Uh, this guy's name was Stuart Smalley, and it was this mock self-help show. And he would look at himself in the mirror every day when he would wake up, and he'd say this, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And if he said that over and over and over again, what was he trying to do? He was trying to speak it into existence. That I may or may not be smart enough, I may or may not be good enough, people may or may not like me, but if I declare it, if I've got to change my positive mental attitude, it will become true. And, and this is not what we're called to in this, in this scripture. It's not that we wake up in the morning and go, I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I'm dead. That, that if I kind of chant this mantra enough, it will come into existence. No, he's saying we are to reckon on a fact that God has already declared to be true because of what Christ already did for me. I'm simply believing and claiming the truth that is already there. I mean, this is the same way that we were saved from the penalty of our sin, Right? It's faith. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. It is finished. Paid for in full. And in the same way, he's saying, I've already de defeated the sin for you. You don't have to defeat it. And I remember as I struggled with that sin of lust in my life, what I was doing was I, my solution was to go back and work harder and try to defeat the sin. I really mean it. I'm going to really stop. And it was self-effort. It was, it was what I could do to stop. And over and over again, I found the failure that came from that. We, we can try to beat the sin, but it's absurd to try to beat something that's already been beaten, to kill something that's already been killed. Think about it this way. You're uh, driving in your family car, and you see a dead moose in the road. Dad says, gang, stay put. I'll be right back. And he gets out of the car with his gun that was not concealed, and, and, he, and he walks over to the road, and there's this moose lying in the road, clearly dead, he takes out the gun and just unloads into the moose. That's what my gun sounds like in my and, and the family is back in the car just horrified, right? Eyes like saucers, oldest kids like, Mommy, why is Daddy killing this dead moose that's already dead? And they're like, Honey, I think Daddy's crazy. He's lost his mind, right? Stay seatbelted, right? We don't know what, what in, why in the world is Daddy killing something that's already dead? In Christ... Our old man has already been completely stripped of his power, crucified, killed, buried into the ground. 
And when we try to kill something that's already dead, it's just as absurd as unloading into that dead moose. All that's left for us to do is believe, to, to rely on and stand in the victory that was already accomplished for us on Calvary. We don't have to defeat it because it's already been defeated for us. We don't have to deliver ourselves from it because we've already been delivered from it. But the hard part is, man, aren't there days where we don't feel like we are saved from it at all? And I always think of, of Peter, Peter in, in the water moving toward Jesus. I remember when he sunk into the water when? When he took his eyes off of his Savior and put him onto his circumstances. And the same thing happens to us where we, where we, we falter when we look at our experiences instead of what God has told us to be true. When we walk by sight and not by faith, because there are definitely days when I do not feel like sin is powerless over me, when I sure don't feel like I have victory over it. And so because I'm afraid, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I try to do it myself. And I go back to my old ways of trying to defeat what's already been defeated. And just like Peter, I sink back down into the waves and I experience bondage and failure over and over again. See, faith rests in facts, not sight. Hebrews 11 says that by definition. So here's the deal. Don't listen to the lies of Captain Hook, of the sinful nature, of the old man, of, of Satan, who's trying to whisper into your ear that you are in bondage to sin. Whether or not we feel like it, we've been crucified with Christ, and sin no longer has any power over us in our lives. Third step final step. Present. Present. It says there, let not sin, therefore, because this is true, because you've been crucified with Christ, raised to a new life, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So you notice the word here that stands out. He says, present. Don't present yourselves to sin. Present yourselves to God. Now this word present means to offer or to yield, to, to place yourself in front of. So what he's saying here is to, to place yourself in front of God and say, here I am. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm in your control now. Now this is the action that faith is linked to. He's saying, if you trust me, if you believe that I've given you that victory, then give yourself over to me, to my control. But we have to be careful here to look at what is it that we're called to offer and what is it that we're not called to offer. Look at, look at carefully at what he says here. Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. What are we offering him? Our new nature in Jesus. Not, not the old man. Not, not, not our old self who we were in Adam. And I was thinking about it this way. Uh, this is my, my niece, June. Uh, she's crazy. And uh, June was sitting in my lap uh, last week, and she was eating some raisins. She didn't like them, apparently, because she spit them back out. And raisins already kind of looked like they had been chewed up, right? And so this was really gross. And she, she chews them up, spits them out in her hand. And then she puts them in my face and goes, here, Unc, for you. That's disgusting. Get away from me, you little girl. This is why I don't have children. No. Um, I, I have no interest. I can do nothing with her chewed up and spit out raisins, right? The only thing that those are good for is to go into the garbage forever and ever, amen. Now, I love raisins, and if she'll offer me some new raisins, some clean, sanitized, FDA-approved raisins, I'm all in. But I don't want your gross, chewed up raisins, you crazy little girl, right? 
And in the same way, I always like to make that transition, um, I'm not called to present my old man to God. Here's my sinful nature, God. Here it is in all of its glory. Fix me up, make it better, improve me. He has no use. He can do nothing with my old nature except to kill it, to crucify it to the cross and bury it into the ground. But the good news is he's already done that. And now I have a new life that I'm called to present. It's the new life that I offer to my God as those alive from the dead. We're alive in Jesus. In fact, my new life is Jesus. Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And what I'm really offering God is himself. Jesus' life back to the Father. It belongs to him in the first place. And he says we're offering ourselves to him and, he says, and the members, your members or your instruments, is the term he uses here. And what he's talking about here is simply our physical body, right? He's talking about the, the members, the physical components, our hands, our feet, our toenails, our spleen. Here's my spleen, God. Use it for your glory. And he says, give it to, give it to God. And, 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 and what he's saying is these no longer belong to sin for its desires and passions they belong to you god for your will for what you're passionate about so so what does this look like on monday how do we do this tomorrow well listen when, when temptations arise and, and they will arise when you're when sin tells your eyes it whispers the lies to look at that other person's body that doesn't belong to you or to look at that screen that you know exactly what it's going to do to your head and your heart and your marriage or when sin tells your hands to pick something up that you know will bring destruction. Or when it says to put something in your mouth to self-medicate, to feel better about today regardless of the consequences for tomorrow. When it tells your tongue to say something that's going to tear someone else down in hopes that you might elevate yourself just a little bit. When, when it, sin tells your feet to go somewhere that you know is going to bring harm and destruction to you and those you love. What do we do? What do we do? What Paul says to do here is we look Captain Hook directly into the eyes. We look that old sin nature in the eyes and we say, Jesus nailed you to the cross. That you have no power over me anymore. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to want the things that you tell me that I need to want. We don't grit our teeth and try harder and make deeper promises to God that we can never keep. We, we come to know the truth that that sin has already been crucified. It's already been rendered powerless, and we believe, we count on as a fact what we can't see. And then we offer ourselves to God and say, you take me. You use me for your purposes. And here, here's how I want us to land the plane. Would, would you stand up with me? I want us to corporately offer ourselves to God, our, the members of our physical body. And you might say, man, Justin, I'm not in this space. I don't mean these words that I'm saying right now. And I like to think of it this way. Sometimes, and when, you don't, when you don't even believe the things you're saying, take a step of faith and say, I'm praying these things that will become true. That by faith, as I declare these things to you, God, that you will change my heart to align with what I'm saying to you, that, that I'll want this. So, so say these words with me. These aren't my eyes. Lord, where do you want me to look? I guess I wasn't clear if that was a call and response thing. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll repeat. You can, you can repeat after me. 
Where does he say to put our eyes? We know a lot of places we shouldn't be putting our eyes. What's Hebrews 12 say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Repeat after me. These aren't my ears. Lord, what do you want me to hear? There's a lot he doesn't want me to listen to. The lies of Satan, the old nature, trying to tell me that I'm, that I'm under bondage to him when I am not. Then he also said, my sheep will know my voice. They'll hear when I speak. They'll, they'll listen to me. This isn't my tongue. Lord, what do you want me to say? Paul said, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Nothing that would tear someone down. Only what would build someone up, that we would proclaim the truth in grace to the people in our lives, in our community, and to the ends of the world. Finally, these aren't my feet. Lord, where do you want me to go? Romans 3 talks about the feet that are swift to shed blood, to take life. But he says, how beautiful, Romans 10, are the feet that take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to go into all the world and make disciples the, the, the feet shod with the gospel of peace. And Father God, we come to you this morning. We are a wreck as sinners apart from you. But Lord, we want to we stand on the truth that is being proclaimed in your word in Romans 6 this morning to know that we've been crucified with Christ and buried with him and raised to a new life, that that old nature has been rendered powerless, that has no authority over our lives. And then, Father, give us the, the grace to trust you in that, to reckon on it as true, because it is true. Father, that we believe, and I know my heart is prone to wander, prone to listen to the lies of the world around me, of that old nature still whispering from the mast on the, on the, on the ship, that I'm in bondage, that I have to do these things. But, Lord, that we would believe what is true, that we are free free to be yours, to be used by you. And so because of that, God, help us to take that step of faith, to give you the members of our bodies, that we would surrender ourselves to you. Use us for your purposes, that our tongues would sing your praises, that our feet would go to take the good news where you tell us to go, that our hands would do your good work of loving and making disciples, that our brains would be used to think on the things that are pure and lovely and good. Father, take the physical members of our body, and with the new man inside of him, the new Christ that lives inside of us, build your church that we would be used not for instruments of unrighteousness, of tearing down, of taking away life, but that we would be used by you to see the new, beautiful, peaceable fruit in our lives. As, as you've changed us, what we do is going to change, but it's from the inside out. So Father, we believe these truths today. Help our unbelief. It's in your Son's beautiful name that we were crucified, buried, and raised with, that we pray, that we stand on. Amen.